Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to begin there um, in verse 2. And some of you may already be afraid because you say, Jeff, last week we picked Romans chapter 8, verse 32, and the sermon was around 45 minutes or so. And today we're picking how many verses? So in other words, I'm glad that you packed your lunch today. All right? But before we jump into this text, and if you if you haven't brought a Bible uh, and you have a smartphone, you can download that for free right now. The uh, Uversion Bible app that most people have on their smartphones, just a, about a month ago, you realize that it hit over 100 million downloads. There's a church out in Oklahoma and uh, LifeChurch.tv and their pastor actually had training in software before he became a pastor and they allowed the Lord to use that training over 100 million downloads, the Word of God, different versions. It's awesome. So you can do that. Or if you don't have one or if you left it in the car, uh, there should be a Bible there by you that you can uh, follow along with us. And I would like to say thank you uh, so much for your encouraging cards and the gifts and all the Christmas wishes. I hope that you had a good Christmas this year. I actually uh, went down to Florida after the choir uh, finished the cantata last Sunday. They did a great job. Amen. Good job, choir. The Lord was glorified. People heard the word of God. And uh, went down to Greenville last Sunday night, and we left early on Monday morning to drive down to Ocala, Florida. And uh, some of you, if you've been with us for a while, you know that my nephew, he's 15 months old, and uh, he's growing every day. It's amazing to see him progress. When he was born, he had a couple of holes in his heart. And uh, even when he was born, I was there just the day, the day after. And uh, you could just see his breathing. It was kind of rattled. It was difficult for him to get a breath. It was his heart rhythm was not what it should be. And that would just about break your heart. You see a little infant like that. And so many of you, you prayed for him. And let me tell you what, some of y'all maybe prayed a little bit too much. All right, I mean, and that's just kidding. Some people are like, no, that's, that's a joke, all right? That he is absolutely, t- I mean, he's healthy, he's so intelligent, he's talking all the time, so we think he's going to be a talker. In fact, Cassidy went into his room the other week because she couldn't find him, and he knows how actually, uh, some of you students, you've noticed little kids now, they understand how to work iPhones and iPads, and they, they gravitate towards remotes. He actually went into his room, sat down in his little baby swinger seat, and pressed the play button for his Elf DVD. And she walks in with her video camera on her iPhone, and, and he's just swinging there, and he looks back like, hey, Mom, what's up? And he waves at her. It's just awesome. But one of the things that, that I noticed with him, and this ties in into the text so powerfully today, is that when he sees his mom or dad, he'll point and he'll say, Mommy, Daddy. And it was my job and the job of um, of his other grandma, Cassidy's mom, to take care of him during the Christmas Eve service. In fact, the band did a great job, great worship team, actually saying this song that we just sang. It's kind of new, so if it's new for you, it's new for a lot of people. And he's there, and he's watching, and he'll just look up, and Cassidy, she can sing so great as she's playing guitar, and he'll say, Mommy. 
And then, and then everybody sits down, and then she's playing a little bit. He, he looks, and, and you're, you're feeding him the whole time, right? He's like this human, I, I mean, I don't even know a good, some people say vacuum cleaner, that's a poor illustration. He literally was like ODing on, on Cheerios and, and all of these grapes, and he would look up and he would say, Mommy. And she put a picture up the other week when Josh preached at their main campus church, and he's doing this. He's got Cheerios in this hand, and then, or maybe it was the other hand, I don't remember. He's, he's eating, and she said in between bites, he would point and say, Daddy. Daddy. He knows who that is. And the point of our text today is that godly character, the character of Jesus Christ, is better than great wealth. And every single one of you, parents, grandparents, influencers of youngsters in general, whether you realize it or not, society is trying to push you into a mold that says, as long as your child can be financially, educational, uh, with their job successful in those areas, then that's valuable. In other words, what does it take for your child, and in one sense, for you to be a success through your child? Society says, if they do well. If they have the good life. And children... Grow up, we were all once children, and we could look at people, and once we knew mom and dad, we could say, mom, dad, pastor, guy I know at church, person I know from church who's friendly, person who I know from church comes and sits down and doesn't look up, they're just reading and memorizing the bulletin. There's that guy, I don't know his name, but he changes my oil. There's that person, that teacher in ninth grade, what's her name? We associate people with the things that we know about the people. And the question for us today is, do people associate us with godly character and the character of Christ? title of this message is very simple. It's character and cash. We're finishing up 2013. That'd be kind of bad to get the year wrong, right? When you've had a whole year to work on it. 2013, we're about to move into 2014. There's a lot of un, uneasiness, unrest about new taxes that are coming through healthcare and people say that the, the stock market is, is inflated beyond what it should actually be and, and, and we're scared and we're focused on money, right? And some of us say, well, I'm going to retire this year or I'm going to try to change jobs this year. What, what, what am I supposed to think about how I'm supposed to take care of my family? You may have kids or you're about to have kids or you know people in your family that are struggling. You're thinking, how are we going to make ends meet? And the dollar sign so dominates your thoughts that whether you realize it or not, you've become dominated by money over serving Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, in the closing lines of this great letter to a young pastor named Timothy, he begins, and we're going to begin there in verse number 2, and the driving thought, once again, is that godly character is better than great wealth. Notice the last part of verse 2. He says, teach and urge these things. What things? Things all throughout the letter that we don't have time to jump into. Some of those things are about how you respect authority. Go with me very quickly to chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. I mean, that would be pretty neat if that's the way that we operated. Amen? To treat, for the younger to treat the older with respect, to treat those of the opposite gender as brothers and sisters. And you go through all of these things, I mean, even down to how you deal with the widows in verse 9. Like, how, how do you handle the widows of the church? 
How do you deal with elders in verse 17 if an elder slips? How do you address that? So he's saying, Timothy, teach all these things, but then it takes a turn in verse 3. Notice, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, what's it say? And does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is what? Puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. He's saying here, what's going to happen, he's speaking to this young pastor, is that some people will imagine that serving Jesus Christ is a way to get the good life. And he says that if somebody begins to teach, in essence, as we'll see, that the gospel is there so that you can be financially successful, he says they don't know the gospel. And the different doctrine, you say, well, Jeff, what does it mean in verse 3 when it says the different doctrine? It literally means if someone comes and they say, you know what, I've got a new revelation. Okay? Now let me tell you very quickly what you should do if we just some random Sunday morning and I get up and I say, you know what, guys, I've tried to preach the Bible to you for the time that we've been together, but I've got a new revelation from God. Y'all tracking with me? And this new revelation from God says that this older revelation from God is no longer in effect. And I begin to preach sermons about what Jeff thinks about finances, okay? And what Jeff thinks you should do with Jesus. And from like Second Jeff Chronicles 7.14, right? And I'm like handing out notes and, and it's got like the Bible reference there and it's like, like my blog for my website and you're like, this is weird. Guess what you should do? According to 1 Timothy, you should confront me there in verse 17. Elders are worthy of double honor. And then if I do not repent, then you should. Please fire me. Y'all ever asked for a pastor to do that? Had a pastor ask you to do that before? Because here's the thing. It's a very, very serious subject when we come to the Bible because we have so many things in the world that are trying to pull us away from it and saying this is not true. There's something else that has a better line of reasoning. So let's continue to go through this passage here. In verse 4, it says, what about the people who teach different from Jesus? It says that they are puffed up with conceit and they don't understand anything. Now, that's very interesting. When you go to the latter part of verse 4, now, I want you to think about this. All right? Think about people that you know. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving or a desire for controversy and for quarrels about words. Have you known someone in your life that they know the Bible, but it almost seems that they study the Bible so that they can argue with people to show how much they know about the Bible. You see, the Bible says here, yes, we're supposed to contend for the faith. When something's not right and someone says, you know, there could be many ways to heaven, we say, no, 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 the Bible says there's just one way. If people say, well, the Bible's, you know, full of errors and so forth, we say, no, no, no. the Bible says that, that the Word of God is pure. It's like a shield, Proverbs 30. We are supposed to contend for the truth, but we're supposed to contend for the truth, not use the truth to prop ourselves up. We okay? Alright, so notice how he continues here in verse 5. He says, and these things produce constant frictions among people who are depraved in mind and depraved, deprived of the truth. Imagining, here it is. That godliness is a means of gain. 
You see, the Bible tells us that the desire to be rich, the desire to be wealthy is very, very shallow. We still okay? To have the driving focus of our lives to be simply financially, independently wealthy, good to go, it's a very shallow desire. Number two, wealth, according to verse 7 in 1 Timothy 6, is extremely, extremely temporary. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, verse 7, for we brought how much into the world? Somebody help me out. Nothing into the world. Now let's just stop right there. And this is the Bible, it is God's word. But why do you think that the Apostle Paul really, like really, and this goes back to Job. It's kind of a, a, a an echo from the book of Job. Why would the Apostle Paul have to tell adults, hey guys, you got your manuscripts out, you got your papyri, all right, you got your lambskin over here, okay, you got your leather, okay, you got, all right, you got your pens, your quills, you dipped them in the ink, you guys ready? Okay. You came into the world with nothing. And they're all like, whoa. He's like, when you were born, you didn't come out of your mother's womb holding on to a checkbook. You didn't come out of your mother's womb having gold. I mean, you came into the world literally with nothing. Now, you could be born into money, but you come into the world with nothing. Notice how the verse progresses in verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world. And here's the bigger kicker. And we cannot take what? Anything. We can't take anything. Nada. Out of the world. Now let's stop and discuss this for just a few moments. Um, The reason the Apostle Paul says this is because it's true. Some of you guys are like, all right, when are you going to give me the zinger? Pastor Jeff, like, when are you going to give me something deep? You've told me that when babies are born, they're not born holding large quantities of cash. I get that. All right, let me tell you something else that's mind-blowing. When you leave you, this earth, your body will be buried, but you can be buried in a Porsche, but the Porsche will stay in the ground. Right? So the Apostle Paul, once they, see, by the way, a lot of times we come to the Bible, especially if you've been in church for a long time, you say, show me something I've never heard, seen, smelled before. All right? Like, like, blow me away, like with this deep inside philosophical knowledge. Listen, it's very interesting that the Apostle Paul, at the end of this letter, the focal point, most people when you say 1 Timothy 6, they say, oh yeah, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. Why would the Apostle Paul pivot his argument on something so simple? Here's the reason. Us, as sinful creatures, we can be very easily distracted by things that shine. And even Augustine said that the virtues of the pagan world are but glittering vices. I'm told that one way that you can trap a raccoon, aren't you glad you came to church this morning and you're going to learn how to trap a raccoon? You're like, praise Jesus, I heard about the love of God and I can trap a raccoon. Is you take your trap and you set it, you try to remove the scent or whatever you can do to say that you weren't there to trick the raccoon. And then you place something glittering above the trap that the raccoon will stand over the trap and reach up and try to grab. They're distracted by things that glitter. We are distracted by things that usually have to do with money. 
And some of you are already saying, sir, are you saying, Jeff, that money and Jesus, there's a dichotomy that if you have money, then you can't follow Jesus? We'll get there in a second, but I just want to let you sit on that, all right? The verse 7, once again, we cannot take anything out of the world. Now, let's just stop. We know that that's true, but let's think about what the Bible has to say about money and what we know as Americans about money. You don't even have to make it to the point of your deathbed to have money that you have legally and rightfully earned taken away from you, right? Let's think about inflation. Inflation is theft. You've earned a dollar, it's worth a dollar today. But if the government prints more money, or rather the Fed, then what it does is it devalues what you've earned. And we think about taxes, right? Taxes is another way that money simply just flies away. Ways that we just have our money deflate. I remember, any of you guys remember a year called 2008? I just heard a few gasps, all right? I was working at a college part-time, and there were people who would come in to work every day. I mean, people in their 50s, 60s who had worked decades. And they said, with this crash, with this bubble that has bursted, I've lost half of my 401k. I mean, think about that. 30 years, you're putting money in. You're just, you're just living on this, taking money out. See, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I'm being financially responsible. And then, boom, cut in half. You're like, man, I should have just bought that big screen TV in 1989. I should have just bought it, right? And we have all of it just trickle away. And then sometimes we, we buy cars that are money pits. And then we need a place to live, right? So we buy, we buy the place to live, but we didn't know that a demon that breaks stuff lives there all the time. And it begins to just, just be a money pit, nickel and diming, nickel and diming. And it's you're just like, Jeff, I've tried, I've worked. I mean, I understand what the Bible says that I didn't come into the world with anything. I know I'm not going to leave anything. I'm trying to be responsible to provide for my family, but it just seems like with these, this money that comes in, it goes out and I just, I'm not going out buying expensive vehicles that I don't need. It just seems to just bleed away. Let me give you some verses in the Bible. Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. And the, the other part of that verse, this is a whole other sermon, is that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away what blessed be the name of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 5.15 And he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it is very depressing. The book of Ecclesiastes is all about life under the sun. And if you're, if you're just secular, if you don't love Jesus with all your heart, if this is just a time to attend church, let me just... Just be the bearer of bad news that will bring you to good news. Without Jesus Christ in the forefront of your life, life is absolutely and totally extremely depressing. Because even if you're able to tax shelter, and even if you were able to see the bubble that was going to pop, and you just kind of like bobbed in the weave like financial boxing, and you totally dodged that bullet then there's going to be a day that you're going to die and all of the financial success, all of the good moves, all of the late nights, all of the hard work, all of the blood and tears and sweat, you're not going to be able to enjoy it. It's good. You will no longer be... In other words, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, life 
without God absolutely stinks because not only does it does it have no point here, but you've worked so hard to get to retirement. And even if you don't get cancer, and even if you don't get sick, and even if something catastrophic doesn't happen, you'll never be able to use everything that you've earned. And often when people leave large sums of money to children, it can have the effect of ruining them. Y'all okay? If you taught biblical stewardship, it doesn't have to be the case. Remember in Florida, it was after a hurricane and we went to the beach and I mean, everything was just wrecked, wrecked. People are building homes. You've got home, a little swath of sand, maybe 50 feet, 60. And then there's this raging beast called the Atlantic Ocean. And someone made the statement, They said that beachfront property, with beachfront property, everything is temporary. There's only a matter of time when that storm's going to come through and wreck the whole thing. And you see these beautiful homes. You see these garages where people can park the nice cars so that they won't get eaten up by the salt air, right? If you've ever lived along the beach, you know you have to do that. But it's very temporary. And it's not just beachfront property that's temporary. It is simply everything that we could ever have in life. Now, some of us, I'm pretty close to that. I'm 33 now. But some of us are close to retirement. Y'all awake this morning? All right? And you're trying to prepare for retirement. Just a bug in your ear. Retirement is only a concept and only something that people in affluent countries have to deal with. If you were in the third world, retirement, and they would say, well, what do you mean by retirement? And if you could speak through the translator, you would say, well, retirement is that age to where, you know, I mean, anywhere from your, your 50s to your 70s, 80s, whatever you want to do, however much you need to work. And then you stop working, and then you get money from the money that you have earned or from retirement or from social security or from all of that and you're able to travel the country and see leaves die i know i just offended some folks all right hey if that's your thing and that helps you glorify god and you bring tracks and win people to jesus you know go knock them dead they'll say now hold on so you're not working anymore right what we're going to do is we're going to buy we're going to buy a travel camper and we're going to travel and we're going to go see places that say, but, but you're still not working. How, how, how are you? You say, well, because I've got retirement. Well, what is retirement? Well, that's where if you work for the company a certain amount of, of years, then the company, right, right, they will pay you a, a small amount of the salary that you did make. And they say, well, there's no concept of that. In areas that don't have law like we do, there's no concept of truly being able to save up because in most of the third world, the, 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 the taxes are so predatory and so brutal. I mean, I could go on and on and on about that. There are people who love Jesus. They're hard workers. They're intelligent. They're smart. But where they live in the world, retirement is not even a dream. But sometimes we can be so caught up in the dollar and how much we're going to be able to accumulate so that we can live those last few years and do well. Where the gospel says that, boy, if God has given you financial success, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but that's okay, all right? Listen, if God has given you financial success and you make it to that point of retirement, and even more than that, he's given you good health, 
Man, guess what? You can finance missions. You can serve people. I mean, even more than you could when you had to go to the job every single day. Let's, in the in the Church of Jesus Christ in America, change our concept from retirement is the me time. Because what usually happens to people who retire and it's just all about me time? They sit and they die. We okay? There's no, there's no focus. There's no vision, there's no mission, and they realize that you can only hunt so much and fish so much and ride the motorcycle so much and shine the car, and then it's, at the end of the day, it all is about me, and that's depressing for anybody, and they sit and they die. But boy, I just pray that we just see a continuation in Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Whatever age you are, if you're in retirement, let today be the day if it's not already happened. If you're planning for that, if you're young, if you're middle-aged, just say, you know what? When I hit that age of retirement, I'm going to be able to serve people, mentor young women, young men, because I'll be able to have, Lord willing, the finances to be able to do it. And that's where I get the true fulfillment in life. Because that's what the Apostle Paul says, verse 6. Check it out. But godliness, but, in other words, in contrast, Contrast to, but godliness, right, with what? Contentment. Now, why does he wed godliness and contentment together? Because godliness is the character of Jesus Christ. That has to do with the internal. The context here is he's saying when you have contentment with what you have on the outside, you combine that with Jesus Christ On the inside, there is great gain from that. And notice, finally, how wealth is deceptive as well. It begins there in verse number 9. Let's go back to verse 8. But if we have what? What are the two things? Food and clothing. With these, we shall be content. Amen? All right, hold on. Some of y'all just said amen. Some of y'all just said, amen. That means so be it. Some of y'all are like, I'm glad I'm never saying amen again. <laughs> Trickster up there. Huh? Like you, Some of us just said amen to the Bible, which says if all that God in his sovereignty chooses to give you at any life stage is food, doesn't even say good food, right? Like food. And I've seen some things and you have as well that are presented as food. You're like, I'm not sure. And clothing, we shall be content. You say, Jeff, what does the Bible have to say? What does it say about contentment? It, I mean, I, there's a certain level that I want to be at financially and then I'll be content. The Bible says wherever you are right now, right now. Whether you've amassed money, whether you are in debt, and God can bring you out of that. That's a whole other message. If you want to go on our website series we did two years ago during this time of the year, how to get out of debt for the glory of God. Now let's go to verse number 9. But those who desire to be rich, all right, this is in contrast to godliness with contentment, but those who desire. Now the word desire here is very strong. It has to do with a passion. It has to do with that person that you know and all they can talk about is what they're passionate over. All right, Those who desire to be rich, notice the imagery here. First, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. And notice the final stage that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
Do you see how ironic the Bible is here? That says that godliness with contentment is great gain, which means that God is my treasure. I will be financially responsible, but my financial well-being does not determine my satisfaction with life. But the Bible says that if money becomes all-encompassing to us, then we will be plunged into ruin and destruction. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, if you're taking notes, in verse 20 and 22, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Verse 22 of the same chapter, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. You see, let's just stop right here. And some of you that are already feeling the tension, you say, Jeff, it almost sounds like money and God are opposed. God's blessed me. Does that mean I'm going to hell? God is not against money. God is against anything that would capture our heart instead of him. God is not against wealth because God has created all good things to be enjoyed and used for his glory. The question for us, this is where we get down to the heart issue, is where is our heart and what captures our emotions? When we're driving down the road, is it money? Is it the things of Christ? When we were in Romania, we were going through Dracula's castle on a mission trip. I know. Right. And Sue had a camera and he kind of freaked us out because we were in this in this tunnel in the middle of Dracula's castle, like down in the bowels of Dracula's castle. And she took the picture and it almost looked like this ghost thing. It was just really bizarre, really weird. You know, we were almost going to have to exercise her camera right there. But then I said, well, Brad, let's just take a picture with your iPhone. And I took one with mine and it was it was clear. And we figured out that it was the lens. The lens is what produced what truly wasn't there. And what the Lord is trying to get us to grab a hold from this text is the lens through which we see life can affect how we view life. Amen? And the lens of Christ is that. On the contrast, we know that seeking wealth and wealth alone is very, very deceptive. We know that, that it's very shallow. But, but let's look at something that has to do with good news. Uh, good news. Godly character, on, on the other hand, is extremely sturdy, extremely strong. Notice the Apostle Paul says once again in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You say, Jeff, what is godly character? Godly character is the character of Christ. Check this out. Some of you have seen the show Doomsday Preppers. It's not bad to see it. Can I see your hand if you've ever seen that show? All right, Doomsday Preppers. All right. There is a lot of unrest today. We've got zombie shows all over the TV. All right. The underlying theme there is the unrest possible in American society and Western culture at large. A lot of economists are telling us that there may be a major crash coming. And listen, I'm not an economist. I'm not necessarily a prepper. But I will tell you this, that if all of the stuff hits the fan and if the bottom falls out, The church of Jesus Christ could have the greatest evangelistic opportunity since the days of the Great Awakening. And it will be in that time that if a crash comes, I mean a big crash, we're not talking a bubble bursting, we're talking about all of the water in the pool being nuked, vaporized. If that day comes, do you realize the potential, the power of godly character? 
That is, it says, go with me very quickly to Hebrews chapter 13. I love this. It says Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. The Bible says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never what? Leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If the bottom falls out and nobody has any money, if the trucks are having trouble running, I don't know if any of that is even possible, but it is the opportunity toward godly character that says, you know what? These things may come against me, but my my joy, my trust, my hope is not in this world. Amen? It is in Christ. And if God in his sovereignty chooses to bring destruction upon people who deserves it, I will be there to point people to him. And another question that we all have to answer is simply, when is enough enough? Do you remember when you had those goals, maybe some of you? And by the way, there's always two people when it comes to money. If you've been through Dave Ramsey's material, he says that there's nerds and there's free spirits. The nerds have a plan. They like saving. They like preparation. The free spirit says, man, money is there so that we can have fun. All right, so to my nerds, the planners, the preparers, have you noticed that throughout the stages of your life when you had those financial goals and you met those financial goals and you thought, boy, if I can, I don't know, if I can, you're a college student, you're like, boy, in the first year of my work, if I can put 10 grand in the bank, wow, how am I, I mean, I will just be balling shot calling. I will be so prepared. I will have so much money. It'll just be awesome. I mean, if my car breaks, I can buy a new car. I'll be just, I mean, you're not doing it like to purposely say, I'm going to be Scrooge McDuck, but I'm Trying to be responsible. And you remember what happened when God in his graciousness and mercy allowed you to meet that goal. Whether it was $500 or $10,000. You said, boy, praise God. I'm going to shoot for 30 next year. And through God's grace, you, you begin to accumulate his glory through, through following the book of Proverbs, through saving, through giving, through being, being in, being diligent. Do you ever notice that it's never enough? Anybody else? The question of this text is simply the Apostle Paul says, you know what? Godliness with contentment is great gain. And finally, godly character enables us to be a leader. Notice what it says in verse number 11. The Bible says, but as for you, O man, flee these things. All right, so number one, by the way, this is just, just a little help. Those of you who are reading your Bibles every day without fail, which all of you should be doing. Y'all all right? Okay, come in. Pastor Jeff, why, why, how, how long has it been since you fed yourself with the bread of life? Like four months ago? Well, okay, now that I got very awkward, let's go to the text. What you do is you take your highlighter and you highlight the verbs which helps you see the tracking of the intention of the author. Number one, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. What things? The things that say success is about money. Number two, pursue what? Pursue righteousness, which is the character of Jesus. Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Number three in verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. And then also in that same verse, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were, you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
See, there's nothing in the Bible that says that we are to cloister in the upper room together. Do you remember how the disciples were like that, right? After Jesus had been crucified and buried, they were all in the upper room and they were terrified. The Bible has an active faith that is presented. There are some that may be here today and you say, Jeff, I'm just so worried about messing up. You're a perfectionist. You say, if I can just if I can just hold on to the time that I have and if I don't take that drink, if I don't do those things that I shouldn't do, whatever it may be, listen, the Bible nowhere says to sit in an upper room twiddling your thumbs, hoping not to make a mess of the time that we have been given. The Bible says to pursue. Notice, it says flee, pursue, fight, and take hold. And this is where it comes down to our application. And it's simply this. You say, Jeff, how do we get godly character? How do I develop the character of Christ? This is in your outline. First, you obey in the small things, and the small things will prepare you for the big things. You take those small, seemingly insignificant things that God presents you with, and you obey that, and He prepares you for something bigger down the road. You say, now Jeff, here's a question that I have. Can godly character be combined with financial success? What if I or people that I know have been able to do well? Is that something that God does not want? Notice what the Bible says there in verse 17. Here is the admonition to the ones who are financially successful. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be what? Haughty, proud, arrogant, nor to set, this is so crucial, I would like underline this, then circle it with a pencil, and then underline it with a pen. The Bible says, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Absolutely. If God and His sovereignty has placed you in the situations where you could do well financially and save up, praise be to God, you can finance missions that way. You can give and help out people who are poor circumstantially. You can bring God great glory through what He has given to you. But the Bible says you must fight, you must flee from the temptation to trust in what you have accumulated. The show hoarders, Have you seen that show? To where people have amassed ungodly amounts of just... I mean, it's not even good stuff. It's just stuff. And we can watch those shows and say, boy, that's crazy. But listen, at the core of it, it's a spiritual problem that says that if I amass all these things, then somehow I will be secure. It's the same that we can... A trap that we can slide into, whether we are poor middle, rich, anywhere along that spectrum, trusting in what He has given us. But the Bible says that if we trust in Him, it says that He will provide us with everything good to endure. And finally, you say, Jeff, how should financially successful Christians live? The Bible simply says, hope in God rather than money. Be ready, right? Be ready to serve. Notice in verse 18, they are to do good. This is what you are to do. And let, let me just define this. If you are rich, according to the Bible, that means that you have money left over after you have paid for housing, food, and shelter. According to the way most of the world is right now, according to the first century, if you have expendable income, you are rich. 
Here's what we're to do. Verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. That's awesome. To be generous and ready to share. Now here's what happens. Verse 18, verse 19. If you through the grace of God follow that, verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is noticed truly life. There's a lot of fakes out there that says that what you need to do to make your child successful is you need to pound into their head financial success, success at your job, at your education, but there is nowhere an emphasis found on the character of Christ. Listen, if you raise a child who never finishes any anything above a high school education, but that That boy, that girl loves Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they work the job that God has provided for them. Even if they are not able to put their parents up in a penthouse in the parents' time of retirement. You have been incredibly successful for the glory of God. It was several months ago that we had our... uh, our state convention here in First Baptist Roanoke for the Southern Baptist Conservatives of Virginia. Sounds kind of lame, but it was awesome. It was an amazing, I don't even want to call it a convention. It was just a come to Jesus meeting in the best, best way possible. And I was supposed to pick up Russell Moore, who was the keynote speaker. I was going to be his host and transport him from Roanoke and all these places and spend time with him. And if any of you knew the condition of the inside of my car around that time frame, you would have said, please, Jesus, no. Spare Dr. Moore. We, we love his leadership in the area and there in Washington, D.C. and all the work that he does. And I was absolutely slammed with coursework. I literally had no time to do anything. And finally, being the cheapskate that I am, I broke down. I came over here to Jeff's car wash. And I said, I need some work done. He said, what would you like? I said, I want the whole thing detailed. Whole thing. And I did a fantastic job. It smelled better. It looked better. I mean, even when you open up the rear uh, trunk and you got kind of the green stuff that's growing down the grooves, you know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all got the green stuff going on. I mean, even that, they maybe got down there with a Q-tip and they cleaned it out. It was, I mean, even drove better. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was great. It smelled good. And I was able to pick up Dr. Moore and he didn't catch some fatal disease. You know, it would be really terrible. And, and I thought about it. That when I took him and picked him up from the airport and brought him to his hotel, apparently the word got out on the bird community and they were targeting me. And I said, you come over to Franklin County during dove season. We'll show you who's boss, right? And so I'm there with this, this immaculate car that had been buffed, that had been cleaned and whacked. It was beautiful. It was amazing to see a 99 vehicle look that good. And you know what I did? I pulled out a, 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 a Kleenex. I I hocked a loogie on that thing and I began to just clean off where that bird hit. I mean, I, it was almost like I came to the point that I had become obsessive compulsive with my car. And even Lee noticed it. He's like, thank you. My pastor finally looks somewhere. He said, I noticed you got your car clean. And I said, well, I did. And here's the thing. Here's the point that I want to bring home from that. Sometimes that can be our walk with Jesus Christ. It's a very busy time of year. If you're here in church, you're probably committed, right, on that Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, right? I think we're just going to, right? Stay in. All right, so you're here, you're committed, hopefully. Sometimes our walk with Jesus can be to where there's a little trash that ends up here, and we say, well, I'll deal with that tomorrow. 
It's a little bit of unforgiveness, a little bit of greed, a little bit of trust in what we've accumulated as opposed to trusting in, in who has us. And it begins to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And then it becomes looking like a wreck. And we say, why do I even need to go to church? I just don't feel right. And it gets, it gets more and more, and it's almost like my car that says, man, I don't even have time to deal with this. I don't know what to do. It would take me all day long to make it look half decent. I'm going to take it to the expert. If that's you, this is the last Sunday we have in the year 2013. If it seems like this year has been an accumulation of stuff in the car of your life that should not be there, why don't you just this morning bring it to Jesus? And say, Jesus, there's stuff that shouldn't be there. I don't just need an outside job. I need an inside job. I need you to detail my heart. I want to repent. I want to come back to you and ask that you'll help me to be a brand new man, a brand new woman in 2013. What that means for some of you is that today, you say, Jeff, man, my heart's never been detailed. It's never been cleaned. I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. This time, right now, trust in Christ. We're going to have an invitation to give you an opportunity to come down and make your commitment for him public. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This is our invitation. I'll talk very quickly to our believers. If there's stuff in the car, if there's stuff on the car of your life, and the Holy Spirit of God has shown you through his love, his chastisement, to say that you need to be cleansed. You need to repent the attitude of the heart condition that you have had for this certain amount of time. Why don't you come back to him right now? Admit that. Confess that, which means bringing no excuses and say, God, here is my heart. Here is is my life. Placing it once again on the altar of just to have a work done in, in me. That only you can do. Don't you do business with Christ right now? And then for the ones that, that you've never stepped out and made a public commitment of your faith to Jesus Christ, that you know that you need to be born again. It may be money, it may be other things that have consumed your heart and your outlook up to this point. But today you realize that Jesus needs to be the Lord and the boss of your life. Why don't you just repent, turn to him, trust in Jesus in this moment right now. Give your life to him. There may be some that are struggling financially. You say, Jeff, it seems like this whole message was not about me. The message for you, regardless of the financial situation, is godliness with contentment is a great gain. Why don't you just commit to say, God, help that be my verse. Not just for a year commitment, but let let that be the driving focus of whenever I'm tempted to trust or to worry about what I do or do not have. God, bring me back to this beautiful text in your word. We're going to stand and sing here in just a few moments, and there may be some of you that just need to come and pray for someone in your life for God to touch. Some of you need to get up out of your seat and walk forward and say, Jeff, I'm ready to be baptized. Others need to say, Jeff, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm just going to walk forward and I'm just going to take you by the hand down here. And by doing that, you say, I'm ready to live for Jesus. I'm ready to join this church. I'm ready to team up with a place that loves people and loves God.
Father, would you take this invitation time and would you draw every single person, the ones who may stay in their seats if you didn't draw them, would you, would you bring them to stand up for Christ? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.